Welcome to the Story Discovery Podcast. I'm your host, J.W. McAteer. Coming up, you'll hear a new work from our free online publication, Etched Onyx Magazine. Hey there, listeners. Jumping in here to give you a few quick updates with what's happening here at Etched Onyx Magazine and Onyx Publications. First off, if you're a regular listener, you may have noticed we've fallen a bit behind in getting our shows posted. Rest assured, we are making progress and have some really great stories, poetry, and interviews coming up from our spring edition. In order to expedite the podcast catch-up process, today's show does not include an author interview. However, this particular author has been on the show before and will point you to his earlier episode to get insight on his writing mentality. Second, we're welcoming a new narrator to the team, TJ Cedar. They hail from Australia and we think you'll enjoy their narration style. Lastly, the summer edition is in the works and we will be going live in the next month or so. Thank you so much for your patience. And now, back to the program. This podcast and all related materials are a production of Onyx Publications. All works, stories, and poems are copyright 2023. All rights reserved. Today's story, Mystic Canyon, is an excerpt from a work in progress. Written by Peter Gooch and narrated by T.J. Cedar. Settle in and enjoy. Mystic Canyon by Peter Gooch South Dakota, 1992 Twenty feet beyond the dry sandbar lay Pippin in her purple bra, face down next to a shard of yellow fiberglass her right hand draped negligently over the curve of a river rock, blonde hair fanning out around her head. She could have been snuggling into the covers of some night-tossed bed. Instead, her cheek rested in a depression of gravel. Spencer imagined her erratic flight before the car nosed down in the creek bed. A fledgling angel recklessly come to earth. No movement. The girl's manic, jittery energy now gone. Less than an hour earlier, she had been dancing wildly at Custer's Tavern to the amusement of Dub, Callahan, and the others from the Air Force Base. Deafening music, smoke in the air, a crush of movement, Dub keeping up as best he could. Gazing at the aftermath in the gully, Spencer was surprised there was no blood. A pair of onlookers stood nearby, the beams from their flashlights pooling on the ground. Candy held on to him, her fingers digging into his arm. They were caught in a fog of dust thrown up ten minutes earlier when the tanker pilot's sports car tumbled across the stream bed. The others? Spencer said to the couple standing watch. Pippin had been riding the hump between Dub and the driver. The man pointed with the beam of his flashlight, following a trail littered with broken body panels to the opposite bank. Wedged between two house-sized granite blocks was the mangled form of the corvette. Don't look good, the man said. 
a handhold on Candy's belt, Spencer knelt, wincing as his weight settled onto his bum knee. No, he said. It don't. Resting the flat of a hand on Pippin's naked shoulder blade, he hoped for the rise of a breath. There was none. Best not move her, the man said. Spencer met Candy's glance and shook his head. Staring hard at him, searching his face for a sign of hope, she reached out her hand to help him stand. He groaned aloud from the pain. There were more people now, more cars along the canyon road that snaked thirty feet above the riverbed. Flashlight beams crisscrossed each other, adding to the chaos. Eyes wide, Candy stared at Pippin's body. Spencer put his hand on her waist, felt her tense. She gave him another look, her expression like a child woken suddenly in the night. Him leaning on her shoulder, trying to save his knee from the worst on uneven ground, they made their way toward the smoking ruin fifty feet away. In the beam of his flashlight, their path was dotted with scattered remnants. A dusty ball cap. A chunk of windshield spiderwebbed with cracks. The turtled car smoked and hissed, emitting a steady fog of steam from the crumpled front end. There was the petroleum stench of gasoline, the sweet smell of coolant. Something else he couldn't identify. Faint sounds of a radio came from somewhere on the road above. He stared at the undercarriage. Part of the exhaust system had been torn loose, a blackened pipe pointed heavenward. One wheel hung at an odd angle, tire shredded. The beginnings of a crowd of spectators milled around the dry river. No sign of either Dub or the tanker pilot. Spencer guessed that one or both were trapped underneath the wreckage. From the sky came a slow drizzle. Black spots of raindrops appeared on the stones of the stream bed. Someone yelled from the far bank. One of the gawkers turned and made for the sound. Over here, he said. Spencer and Candy followed. The slope was dense with boulders and brush. Black shapes of willows sprouted from between massive stones. He could hear water burbling over rocks, but couldn't see it. A dog raced past, barking, vanishing into the night. Behind them was the flicker of flashing lights up on the road, the first of the emergency vehicles arriving. The lingering dust cloud glowed, pulsing red. Candy paused, drawing him up short. The police are here, she said, nodding toward the line of blinking lights partly obscured by the scrub along the roadway. Give me what you've got. He smiled at her paranoia, found only a handful of Percocet left in his shirt pocket. She shoved them down the front of her pants. You can help me hunt for these later. A few yards away, the body of Dub materialised in a beam of light. An apparition upside down at the edge of a steep earthen bank, one boot hooked on a willow branch. His upper torso was curled in on itself, his head bent at an unnatural angle. A thick-set older woman pushed into the group of onlookers. Let me through, she said. I'm a nurse. Spencer edged closer. 
Dub's eyes were open, showing mostly whites. His shirt was gapped to the waist. Dark spatters of blood on his lips. The old nurse crowded the others out of the way, bent close over Dub. Swallowed his tongue. Anybody got a knife or a pair of pliers? Anything. Without thinking, Spencer reached over the suspended body, fumbling for Dub's skinning knife. He finally unsheathed the stubby blade and handed it to the nurse. This'll work, she said. You know him? She gave him an accusatory glance. Yes, Spencer nodded. Two years stationed together in Spain, another six months back home. The woman turned away. What's she doing? Candy said. Dunno. God damn it, fuck, the nurse said under her breath. I can't get it. His throat's blocked. Someone from the crowd edged in and she shoved him back violently. Get me a tube, a straw, anything. Christ. Candy leaned into Spencer, looking up at him. This is freaking me out. A man in uniform appeared next to the nurse, then another carrying a large cloth duffel. Get back. Give us some room. A voice accustomed to being obeyed. Spencer stepped away. A beam of light appeared, bathing everything in a brilliant artificial whiteness. The shriek of sirens cut through the buffer of eerie quiet that had filled his head since their scramble down the riverbank. More uniformed figures appeared out of the gloom. There had to be twenty at least, crowded around watching. A police radio crackled close by. He moved farther away, trying to keep his legs straight. Is Dub going to be okay? Candy asked. No, Spencer said. I don't think. Should we stay? Her eyes pleaded to go. This was not what she'd bargained for back at the bar. Spencer was silent for a while, his eyes stung with airborne grit that hung in the air. It's finished, he said. There's nothing can be done. Not by us. Together, they scrambled back toward the roadway. Spencer saw Callahan, whose truck had been tailing the Corvette through the canyon, standing near the smashed yellow roadster. He raised a hand. The big man nodded in his direction, then turned back to the wreck. At the foot of the incline, Candy's hand on his arm tugged him to a stop. She took the flashlight and shined it at the ground at their feet. A faint glint of metal flashed among the river stones. She stooped down and retrieved something, holding the small object up for him to see. One of Pippin's hoop earrings. Candy shot him a questioning look. Better not, he said. Best leave it where it landed. Don't test our luck. It was all chance. She shrugged and tossed the ornament back where she'd found it. They climbed to the bank on their hands and knees. At the top, he righted himself by pulling his body upward, hand over hand on a sapling. He grunted with the effort and the pain. Take me home, Candy said, somewhere, anywhere but here. Both knees of her Levi's were split, streaks of dirt on her hands and face, her eyes huge and black. 
they made their way to where he'd left the jeep. When he put her in the passenger seat, she gave him a tired, bruised look. Squeezing her shoulder, he closed the door. Big drops of rain began to fall with the sound of a trip hammer on the metal of the jeep's hood. As soon as the car began to move, Candy curled into a ball on the seat next to him, her butt pressed against his leg. Soon, her breathing evened out. After an hour of driving in a downpour, they made it to I-90. A little later, the sign for the turn-off to Box Elder showed a brilliant green in the headlights. Easing down the ramp, Spencer bypassed the wide pavement heading into the Air Force Base and found his familiar two-track lane, nearly hidden by waist-high clumps of broom grass. Rolling over a cattle grate, he eased up a gentle slope, twisting between stands of hackberry and buckthorn. His headlights shone on an assortment of rusting appliances, then on the pale blue hulk of a 49 Plymouth flatbed settled deep into the brush. A few seconds later, the shape of his single wide appeared. Tucked into an elder thicket, the mobile home was protected from the wind by the shoulder of a low hill that demarked the terminus of runway number seven. Ironically, since he'd mustered out of the Air Force, his days and nights were punctuated by the scream of bombers taking off or landing. The sounds of the big plane served as a reminder of other days now gone. Letting Candy sleep on the seat of the jeep, Spencer limped up the three steps to his front door and went in. He switched on one light and surveyed the scene. All was as he'd left it. On the wall, a calendar hung crookedly from a single pushpin, its pages turned to the month of May. May was his birth month. Autumn now, he'd been too exhausted to flip the pages. Tossing his cap onto the couch, he went to the two-burner and heated a saucepan of water. When it boiled, he added four Lipton tea bags, eight heaping teaspoons of sugar, and as much cream as would fit without spilling. He swirled the mixture with a spoon until it started to steam, then turned down the flame. Pouring some of the liquid into a chipped mug, he sat down feeling as sober as he had in years. Sounds of the night came through an open window. From the gully beside the runway, coyotes yipped back and forth. Spencer sat at the kitchen table, sipping tea, trying to sort things out. His clothes and his skin were covered in fine brown silt thrown up when the corvette tumbled across the riverbed. Wiping absently at the back of his hand, he saw fingernails grimed with dirt. The last effects of the beer and the drugs had worn off on the long drive home, leaving him hollow and hurting. The clock hands edged toward three. No sleep promised. The tea would see to that. And then there was all the other stuff. He heard the screen door slam, felt the presence of the girl moving toward the kitchen. She stood beside the fridge rubbing the sleep from her eyes. Without looking at him, she shuffled over to the tiny formica table. Fetching a second cup from the counter, he rubbed it clean with the hem of his shirt tail. Candy worked her way around the cramped space and sat down, hair matted on one side from the car seat the heavy makeup around her eyes blurred and runny. She looked younger than before. He poured the sweet white tea without asking, adding more sugar, stirring it off the bottom of the cup. Feeling her eyes on him, his hand shook. 
Spencer pushed the cup across the tabletop toward her. Okay. Fuck, dude. You're a riot. She gazed at him under her lashes, took a sip, and then another. We're a long way from okay, wouldn't you say? He took a swallow, wishing for a cigarette. Outside, an owl hooted softly in the distance. God, this is sweet, she grimaced. I can feel my molars melting. Spencer nodded, cupped the tea between both hands, looking down at the pale caramel surface of the liquid, afraid to breach the silence that filled his head. She hoisted a boot onto his lap and looked at him expectantly. He put down his cup and tugged off the right one, then the left. Wiggling her toes, she nudged his leg, kneading his thigh like a cat. The soles of her white cotton socks were brown with dust. Spencer, she said, her voice forcing him to look up. I need for you to see me. I'm right here. He tried for a smile but could barely manage. That's it? She cocked her head. That's all you got? The childish hand cradling the cup looked fragile. Blue fingernails. The tattooed pachuca cross in the web of her thumb. Nicotine stains between her fingers. Settling one hand on her ankle, he squeezed absently. Through the thin fabric of her sock, he felt meat, bones and tendons. The fugitive miracle of flesh. He watched her eyes travel over him and around the interior of the trailer. An open box of shotgun shells by the coffee maker. Empty long necks on the floor. A dark blue carton of dry macaroni spilled on the counter. Okay then, she said, wiggling both feet in his lap. Here we are. The hint of a tear hovered at the edge of her lower lid. Below it etched on her skin was a second tear suddenly wet. From high above came the mournful whine of massive jet engines, a black metal wedge dropping out of the sky, homing in on an invisible beacon. You've just listened to Mystic Canyon, an excerpt from a work in progress by Peter Gooch. We interviewed Peter way back in August of 2021, for his short story, The Blue Room. If you'd like to learn more about Peter, we recommend you listen to that show. It's a great story, in addition to this current story, and a fun interview. Thank you very much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. If so, please do us a huge favor and give us a rating on your favorite podcast app. Also, be sure to tell your writer friends. Ratings and word of mouth are our best tools for expanding the reach of the magazine and podcast. The Story Discovery Podcast is a free, narrated podcast of works that appear in Etched Onyx Magazine. Edited by J.W. McAteer, all stories and poems are available at onyxpublications.com. That's O-N-Y-X publications.com. If you're feeling extra generous, you can support us at patreon.com slash onyxpublications or buymeacoffee.com slash 
Onyx Publication, with no S. As a nano publishing house, we are always looking for new works to showcase. If you'd like to submit a story or poems for consideration, please visit the submissions page on our website. In the meantime, keep reading and writing.